Hey, would you grab uh, a Bible or your app? And we're going to be in Luke chapter 19 this morning for Palm Sunday. Luke chapter 19. And uh, if you don't have a Bible back at your place uh, that you could dust off, uh, grab one of the Bibles around the room here and bring that home. We would love for nothing more than for you to be able to break that in uh, back at your place. And so Luke chapter uh, 19. Uh, this is my favorite Palm Sunday passage. Uh, Palm Sunday is recorded, one of the rare stories of Jesus that's recorded in every single gospel account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and this is my favorite one because Luke was a, uh, he was a doctor, a physician, he was a historian working on behalf of um, uh, the, uh, a leader in Rome, uh, paid to go and to, to bring details together so that he could really nail down what really happened, who this Jesus really was. And so he pays a lot of attention to details, and uh, I love some of the details that he points out here in Luke chapter 19 for uh, Palm Sunday. Before we look into that, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you had a good cry? Think back to that. Some of you are like, is there such a thing as a good cry? According to my wife, there is. Uh, She tells me every now and again, I just need I just need a good cry. And so, uh, young ones, learn from me. This is when you forego your action movie, you turn on some Nicholas Sparks, and you let your girl have a good cry. And I don't get it, but I love her. And so she's going to have her cry, and it's going to be good. Our son Luca, on the other hand, he likes to have this kind of this tough facade and never wants to let anybody know if he's crying. And so if he ever gets his feelings hurt or he, he actually is, is actually really hurt, he, he buries his face into his hands or he'll take his baseball cap off and, and cover his face. And, and he doesn't want to let anybody know uh, that he's crying. But if you hear him cry, you know, oh man, this is bad. And so if he's, you hear him crying, we're running down the stairs and we are prepared to take him to the hospital. And that has happened a few times. And then there's, there's my dad, and uh, I was thinking about the, the only time I've ever seen my dad cry was back when I was in sixth grade, and our, my lifelong dog, Lightning, died. He had just come back from the vet, and he had to put her down, and uh, he came back, and he was just a mess. And I remember sitting on the back porch, uh, reminiscing about Lightning, and how Lightning got her name, and, and just... Just my dad was, was crying. He actually has emotion, right? My dad actually cried. Well, this Sunday, we get to see Jesus cry. And so I'm calling this sermon, That Time Jesus Cried. Sound good? That Time Jesus Cried. So I'm sure many of us could, could think back to maybe some, some people in our lives and say, I remember the one or two times that I saw my dad cry. Or I remember the very first time I saw my spouse cry. Or I remember the time my boss, who's a little crazy, started to cry in the office. I don't know what it is for you, but uh, those moments kind of stick out because they tell us a little bit about the the person. My, My wife cries because she loves love. My son cries only when he's really, really hurt. Or, or my dad cries, and that speaks to just that, that deep connection between a man and man's best friend. And, and, and so why does Jesus cry? What does that tell us about him? What does that mean for us? That's what I want to look at this morning. Now, let me just uh, set it up this way and just say, listen, if you're not a crier, 
don't worry. You're feeling a little uncomfortable. I'm not going to try to encourage you to tap into the softer side and, and get us all crying before we leave. That's not my goal. My goal is just to see what moves Jesus and, and learn about what that means for us. And so, uh, in, in fact, in, as we think through the, just the start of Holy Week, what you'll see is that at, at the beginning of Holy Week and at the end of Holy Week, book ending Holy Week are tears, right? Here at the start, Jesus cries. And then on Easter Sunday, we see Mary Magdalene crying. And so let's just jump in and let's, let's see what these tears are all about. That time when Jesus cried. You ready? Luke chapter 19, look at verse 28 with me. It says, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone seeks you, or anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. And so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. So let's, let's recap a little bit. We're at the beginning of what we refer to as Holy Week, knowing what's coming, the cross, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus. And, and Jesus is about to head into Jerusalem for the last time uh, on earth in this fashion. And, and, and it's, it's Sunday. It's we call now Palm Sunday. You'll see why in just a minute he rides into Jerusalem where it's all going to go down over the next week. It's all going to go down. And his followers are cheering him on. They're, they're singing his praises. They're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Like we sang earlier, they say, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And, and again, this is recorded in all four uh, gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm going to pull some details from different gospel accounts, like Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest is not in this account, but it is in uh, other gospel accounts. Uh, and so, so you you see we're going to kind of pull some details together. And, and, and what's happening is, is from this point forward, Jesus is, is just focused, focused, focused on the cross. He's been working his way for the past little while now towards Jerusalem. And now he's going into Jerusalem where he's going to, to get up on that cross. He, they didn't kill him. They didn't, he willingly got up on the cross. Just like they said, if you're God, you can get down. He, he doesn't get down because he actually climbed up himself on that cross. He is dying. He's laying down his life for us. It was prophesied long ago that a Messiah would come, that a sacrifice would be made, and this is it. He knows what he's doing. He's been staying, it says, at Bethphage and, and Bethany, and, and the book of John adds that just before this moment that we're in right now, Jesus, uh, just, just not long before, was having dinner with Lazarus. You may know the story of Lazarus. He had uh, recently resurrected Lazarus from the dead. Also at that dinner are Mary and Martha, family of Lazarus. And, and John tells us that, that large crowds of people were coming to, to see Jesus, see this one who raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, he brought somebody back, not just a, a few heart pumps. And yeah, I think he was out. He was actually gone. What a, what a miracle. No, he was dead four days, mummified, put in the grave, and comes back 
to life. And people are coming to see Jesus and they're coming to see this man Lazarus. And, and so John points that out. They, they just finished all that up. And, and I want you to, to understand that because what we're seeing right now, what's happening right now, is coming at the heels of Jesus being at the absolute peak of his celebrity. And he could have stayed a little bit longer. He could have snapped more photos for Instagram so that people could say, I was with Jesus. And, and he could have signed some autographs. He could, have, he could have preached a lot more. I mean, if ever people were receptive to the message of Jesus, now was the time. But know this, he, he knew exactly where he was going. He knew exactly what he had to do. He had to get into Jerusalem. He had to lay his life down. He had to be the sacrifice. He had to strap himself into the electric chair, so to speak, so that he could take our place, take our punishment for our sins. If the wages of sin is death, he didn't sin. He didn't have to die, but he puts his life on the line for you and for me. So he's ready to roll into Jerusalem. What he does is he sends two of his disciples out to go find a cult. He says, you're going to find one that no one has sat on before. You're going to untie it and bring it to me. If somebody says, hey, why are you untying that colt? You say, the Lord has need of it. And so that's exactly what happens. He's being very intentional. And what he's doing, as Kevin pointed us to earlier, is he's fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, which says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a file of a donkey. So our Jewish friends missed the Messiah today. They missed the Messiah because they're waiting for some spectacular entrance. They're, they're waiting for, for God to come and be this, this earthly kind of king, chariots, lavish living. But their Tanakh, our Old Testament, Zechariah predicts very clearly here, righteous, having salvation, does our king come in and humble Humble, not lavish. Humble and mounted on a donkey. And so he comes in very humbly, just as it said he would. Now, let's read on. Look at verse 36. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks. That would be kind of a, like a jacket or a top layer on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Other uh, books would then say, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So he's pressing forward. He's on his mission. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly where he's going. The people, the multitude, this is lots of people. He's at the, the peak of his celebrity. The multitude of his disciples right now start to line the road with their, their cloaks. And, and then John and Mark and Matthew tell us that they also line the road with palm branches, hence Palm Sunday. And so he is on this this colt, and he is walking down the road and, and walking on top of these palm branches. Now understand this, that palm branches were a Jewish national symbol. And so by Jesus walking on top of palm branches, he's saying, I am king over your people, over your land. I am the king of the Jews. I have rule over all these 
people. And, and so it's a powerful, powerful moment what Jesus is doing. And he's working his way into Jerusalem. And many people are excited. They're cheering. They're, they're singing Hosanna, which, which means save us, Lord. They're, they're saying you can save us and we're asking you to save us. You are able, they're worshiping him for being able to. And it's a request at the, the very same time. And, and they're expecting him to come into Jerusalem and to whip up essentially on Rome. Because Rome had been oppressing them, exercising their power over this, this little people. And, and they're saying, come and whip up on Rome. We want that kind of, of king. And so he's walking on this red carpet and they're singing, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. You start to see they're getting pieces of it. Right? He does come in the name of the Lord. He comes on behalf of God the Father but you read in John chapter 14, he says that, that if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Colossians tells us that he is the image of the invisible God. And so they are praising him, but only praising him in, in part. Quoting scripture, they're doing some things right. Psalm 118, they're, they're, they're doing that. Save us, Lord. Save us now. But they're only worshiping in part, he was going to be the king over the Jews. He was going to be the king over the whole world. He is going to be the king over the whole world. But their thinking was so small. Their thinking was so short-sighted. Political, military power. Like some Christians today, they, they want us to be uh, great America, the Christian nation. And that thinking is so short-sighted. It's not what we're about. We're about being a people who, who think beyond our era of a powerful nation and think past and think present and think future and think this is our king and he is king over all things and we submit our lives to him. And so they're worshiping with cloaks and palms and quoting Bible verses. But in John chapter 12, verse 16, Jesus' disciples, here's what it says. It says they didn't understand at first until he was glorified, and then they figured it out. Later, as he dies on the cross and comes back to life, it all clicks. That's what he was doing. That's what he was up to. He's not just king over our nation and over Rome. He's king over the whole world. He's king over all things. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And so they, they worship only in part. Kind of like the, the Roman centurion who was right there at the cross of Jesus and he said after Jesus had died on that cross, he says, truly this man was the son of God. Sometimes people see a little, little later on, and that's how these people were. So they're worshiping, but they're worshiping in part. That's why Palm Sunday feels kind of, there's a tension in Palm Sunday. Yes, they were worshiping, and yes, he is the one who can save us, but they were worshiping, thinking in the wrong, in the wrong direction. But Jesus lets them declare Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Glory in the highest. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. And then verse 39 happens. And you hear in verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd, they say to Jesus, they say, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Some people did see exactly what was going on, and they were flaming angry. These religious people were, were angry. They knew their Bible. They knew Zechariah 9.9. They said, he is, is crafting a Zechariah 9.9. He's declaring that he's the king, that he's the Messiah. And they were 
angry and they say, teacher, tell them to shut up. And he says, listen, they can shut up, but even the rocks will cry out. I mean, all of creation has been created to, to worship me, to honor me. And, and so that's what's happening is they're, they're worshiping. They're worshiping the king of kings as he comes in to Jerusalem. What's interesting is up to this point, up to this point, Jesus has not openly let people declare that he's the Messiah. Remember, he heals a blind person. He says, don't tell anybody. And the blind person can't, can't shut their mouth. And so he goes and does it anyways. And that's kind of a picture of how we should be. Like, we can't stop talking about Jesus, right? So he's been kind of keeping people from openly declaring that he's the Messiah. But now it's go time. It's time. He knows he's going to the cross. And so he allows them to openly declare. And he himself openly declares that he is the Messiah, being very intentional, making sure that no one is mistaken. This is who I am claiming I am. I am God. I am the Messiah. And so some people are worshiping and other people are conspiring. They're ready to take him out. Now look with me at Luke 19. We've got some context. Verse 41. It says, And when he, knew, he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And this is where I want to land for the, the, the last little while this morning. Is I want to land here because it's, it's beautiful and it's incredibly appropriate for our context today where we find our, ourselves. Get this image. Jesus is descending down Mount of Olives. They're, they're lining the road, essentially a red carpet for him. And people are loudly singing his praises. There's excitement, there's fanfare, there, there's triumph. And, and as Jesus comes over that, that eastern ridge, the city of Jerusalem comes into view. Some of you know the, the view when you come down Washington Street and you see the skyline right there and it comes into view and it's this powerful moment. But for Jesus, people are singing, celebrating, the skyline comes into view and he begins to weep. He just loses it just loses it now there are two times in our new testament when we see jesus weep i'm sure some of you know the other one well bible trivia smallest shortest verse in the bible is jesus wept right john chapter 11 verse 35 it's a great bible trivia question you can use for your your, your people that you want to show how smart you are jesus wept that's what happened when he sees lazarus who is dead and then here in Luke 19:41 we see him draw near to the city he sees the city and he weeps over it but they're different they're different kind it's same word wept there for us in english but in the original language in the greek it's actually two different wepts two different words over lazarus it's it's wept as though he 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 shed some tears and he cried silently but here in this instance, when he sees Jerusalem, it's wept as though he wept aloud and he was wailing and he was sobbing and volume is projecting from his voice as he's crying. I mean, that's, you see the distinction there. Very, very distinct. It's loud. It's excitement. And Jesus is wailing aloud. 
And I told you I want to look at tears for just our next little while this morning. And I want to, I want to just give us three things that Jesus' tears indicate for us. Three things that his tears indicate. I think it's, it's, it's true that we can learn from tears. We can, we can learn from our own tears. We can learn from the tears of others. And, and here's the first thing that we can learn. We can learn that Jesus' tears indicate what is valuable. His tears indicate what is valuable. We get to see what's valuable to Jesus on this Palm Sunday. He clearly has the approval of the masses. There are some who are conspiring, but, but the multitude of people are worshiping and singing his praises and, and rolling out the red carpet for him. But here's where it gets con- confusing. The dichotomy of the moment here is that the crowds are worshiping and Christ is wailing aloud, sobbing, declaring, you have missed my visitation. And it's confusing because it doesn't look like they missed it. I mean, they're, they're worshiping you, Jesus, don't they? Aren't, they? aren't they doing it? But he understands that they're worshiping in part. He understands what is, is going to happen at the end of the week, that the same people who are worshiping him here are going to start chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And that's exactly what happens is, is he, he gets hung on that cross and it looks like it's his weakest moment. It's actually his strongest moment. They wanted a political Jesus, not a... a God, and, and, and he is God. He is the eternal King, Jesus. And, and, and so what is it here that we see is, is valuable to Jesus? What's valuable to Jesus wasn't the approval of people. It wasn't popularity. It wasn't worldly success. One of the things I love as you read through the Psalms is you read about this, this tension, this struggle between the fear of God and the fear of man. And I would imagine if we were to be honest, probably all of us in here struggle a little bit with the fear of man. We want the approval of people. Jesus here says, I have the approval of people and I'm about to blow it apart. What he values was not the the popularity that he has. What he valued was not the the success that he had in the world's eyes. He had celebrity. He was doing, he could have just kept teaching and and, and could have just continued to to share these great stories and these parables and they would have continued to, to just love him and honor. But now he has to become clear and concise and open. I am the Messiah. And so he is sobbing. Because we see here what's valuable to him is not the immediate, what he's getting right now. What's valuable to him is what is eternal. We see what's valuable to Jesus. Begs the question, what's, what's valuable to us as well? The next thing that I, I think his tears indicate is what's personal. What's, what's personal? To be honest, if, if you lost a valuable piece of jewelry, I gotta be completely honest. Maybe it's valuable to you because it costs a lot of money or it's valuable to you because it has some just deep meaning to you. I'd be bummed for you, I would. But I would not shed a single tear over you losing something valuable, some piece of jewelry. I just, I wouldn't shed a single tear. I, I acknowledge that it's valuable, but it's not personal. Does that make sense? It's valuable, but it's not, not personal to me. But Jesus cries Allowed because, because here's the thing people are personal to Jesus. 
People are, are personal to Jesus. We're not robots. We're not, not his toys. He doesn't make us, spin us up, and let us go and, and do our own thing. He, we are so personal to him. He is not a distant and far off God. He is a God who wants to be and is personally connected to us. The Bible says he knows every single hair on our heads. He knows every single thought that we're thinking. He knows every single word that we're about to say even before it's on our tongue. We are so close to God even if we're We're not connected to God through salvation. He is so, so close. He knows you. He loves you. He cares for you. There is intrinsic value in you, but then there's also value of you to him because he is personally connected to you. And as he's sobbing, notice what he says. He says, if you would have only known that this day was meant for peace, but judgment is going to come, And he says, and you in this place are going to be destroyed because you reject the Messiah. Because you did not know the day of your visitation when God came to be with you. You've been waiting for the Messiah. You've missed the Messiah. And so it's interesting here that Jesus declares judgment, just judgment over people and weeps at the exact same time. Because he is God and because he is holy, he must judge sin. No good judge is going to wink at wrongdoing. And that also applies to God. We love justice when it's executed on other people. We don't love it when it's on us. And so he says, I must judge. I must judge. This place is going to be destroyed. And historically speaking, the place was destroyed A.D. 70. Shortly after Jesus' death. Resurrection and the start of the church. Jerusalem is destroyed by Rome. But he's declaring judgment. And at the same time, he's showing, displaying his compassion for people. He's weeping because these people are deeply personal to him. Valuable and and personal to him. He's not surprised, but he is heartbroken. I think that's how he feels about people in our world today who don't place faith in Jesus. He's not surprised, but he is heartbroken. He is ultimately the one executing justice over sinful people, but he is also heartbroken. It's it's personal to him. His tears indicate this is a valuable person. These are valuable people, but they're they're not just valuable because they're, they're people. They're valuable because they're valuable to me. That's what tears indicate. It's heartbroken. I want to give you one more. And that is that Jesus' tears indicate what is painful as well. His, his tears indicate that something is, is very painful for him. We cry when we're, we're hurt, right? Whether physically or emotionally hurt. And he is hurt at Jerusalem's rejection of him. It's deeply painful for him clearly we see here that God is sovereign he is the one executing the justice he declares before it happens that that Jerusalem will be destroyed judgment will come on him but at the same time though he's not caught by surprise though he is exercising sovereignty it still hurts for him it tells us that that when it comes to our obedience to God that he's not indifferent 
We say, yeah, 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 I, I might disobey God, but it doesn't really matter because everybody's disobeying God. Everybody's sinful. It doesn't, no, no, it personally hurts God. Hurts his heart when we sin, when we are disobedient to God. He is, he is personally affected by that. Scriptures will tell us that, that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And so it's painful for Jesus, personally painful, that the people rejected him. That his justice had to be displayed. That, that he does weep, not just over Jerusalem, but that he weeps over you personally. Every single one of you who are not living life to the fullest as he designed it. Living life following Jesus and, and, and coming up under the lordship of Jesus. And the crazy thing is, is that he doesn't have to feel that way. He could, he could just set you in motion and turn his eye and just let you live your life. But he chooses to be personally connected. He chooses to enter into the pain. That's why that other story of Lazarus is so powerful. Is the, have you ever thought about the fact that, that Jesus wept, that shortest verse in the Bible? He goes in, he sees Lazarus dead, and he takes time to weep. Why are you weeping, Jesus? You know you're going to raise him from the dead. Why bother? Just say, guys, stop crying. Watch this and bring him back to life. But Jesus pauses and he weeps and he weeps with people. He's showing people, I'm entering in. I know your pain. I feel your pain. Hebrews tells us that, that he's, he, he, he sympathizes with us, our God. And so his tears indicate what's painful for him. It's painful when people dishonor him, when they reject him. Personally, painful. It's not just, oh, broken law. It's direct offense against God. He enters into the pain. And here's where I want to leave us this morning. I want to kind of leave us at a point of dot, dot, dot. I want to leave us just kind of sitting in the pain because we are entering into Holy Week here and we are moving towards the cross on Good Friday. The greatest picture that Jesus endures pain that he does not have to endure. His tears that are recorded are just these two instances, but we know for sure that he would have cried on that cross. How could you not? This carefully crafted Roman execution method to make it as, as long and as awful as you could possibly, excruciating death on that cross for us. He doesn't have to, but he chooses to because we're valuable to him, because we're personal to him. He enters into that, that pain. I want you to hear that this morning. As you think about Jesus weeping, coming over the hill and seeing the city. I want you to hear that you are valuable to him. I want you to hear that you are personal to him. He loves you personally. He knows everything about you. He still pursues you. And I want you to hear that he's willing to endure pain for you. Not a lot of people, I've got to be honest, that I would jump in front of a bullet if I could. I'm not that fast, but if I could. Jesus says, I would do it for you. And he does do it for you. That's the value. I don't know if you know the value, the worth, the relationship, the pain that Jesus endures for you. You are his special creation. You go back to the very beginning of the book, the beginning of Genesis, and God makes all things by speaking. He makes people by breathing. And he gives you his breath. He uses his hands to mold and then he breathes into you. You have the image of God. You are so special to God. You are so meaningful to God. You are so valuable to God. It's 
beyond what we could ever imagine. Every offense to God is personal to God. And yet God loves you, doesn't wipe his hands of you. He pursues you. He endures pain for you. And so here's how I close. I want to close by taking those, those three indicators that we see from, from Jesus' tears. And I want to just turn them into a question for us. Here's the question that maybe we could just do this to calibrate our own hearts. Ask those same questions of your own self. First question is this. What is valuable to you? Second question is, what is personal to you? And then the third question is, what is painful for you? Make this personal. What is valuable to you? Is it success in the eyes of the world? Maybe it's climbing the corporate ladder. Is it, is it getting the, the grade, getting the degree, getting to this place, getting to that job, getting that family, getting that house, getting that car, living in that zip code? What, what is valuable to you? The, the chance, the cheer, the approval of, of, of people? Jesus says, what does it matter? You gain the whole world, but you forfeit your soul. We have to ask that question of ourselves. What's valuable to us? Next question we have to ask is what's personal to us? What is so personal, so close to us? If we were Jesus and we were coming over Washington Street and we were looking at the Boston skyline, do we have this I care for that city? I feel personally responsible for that city? Because we should. You go to Jeremiah chapter 29 and the people of God are taken into exile, the Babylon. Remember what God says to them? He says, I want you to seek the welfare of that city. For in its welfare, you find your welfare. In other words, make that city personal to you. Yeah, we're Christians and that's not our final home, boss. Our final home is the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth. He says, but while you're here, you better, you better make this city personal to you. If I'm only here for a few years and then I'm moving on out, going back home, moving somewhere. I'm just getting a degree here. God says, no, no, no. You make it personal to you. If we're going to be the kind of church that God wants us to be, we have to be the kind of church that weeps for our city, that hurts when our city hurts. We look around with the eyes of Jesus and it breaks our heart. But there are people here who are far from God, which brings us to our third question for ourselves. And that is, what is painful for you? Are you more pained at the job loss? Are you more pained at the family struggles? Are you more pained at the bad grade than you are over the eternal position of people who are dying and separated from Jesus? That should break your heart. That should bring deep pain to your soul. Or are you okay with just turning a blind eye to it and ignoring it? And not entering in. Jesus chose to enter in. What's painful for you? What breaks your heart? We are God's people. We are called to be like Christ. We are Christians, which means little Christs. Those tears that he shed, the start of Holy Week, need to be indicative of what's happening in our hearts as well as God's people. What's valuable to you? Is it the approval of people? Or is it the souls of people? What's personal to you? Just the things that's kind of in your control? Or do you take personal responsibility over the people in your life that God has put in your life on purpose? And what's painful for you? Is it painful for you that people around us don't know Jesus? It's painful for Jesus. It should be painful for us if we're going to be Christ-like.
Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for this Palm Sunday. Such an interesting kind of day. Celebration. The king is coming, humble and mounted, but also this realization of what's going to go down over this week, that God, you died for us. That you are so otherly, you are so beyond us. You created everything. And the very tree that you spoke into existence was cut down and fashioned into an execution tool and they hung you on it. And so God, on this Palm Sunday, we acknowledge that you are God, you are Lord, you are King. You are not just some political leader. You are not just some great teacher. You are the eternal King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, may we be this kind of people. that our hearts are broken, that we weep within us for the things that Jesus would weep over. That we value what we, you value, that we take personal what you take personal, that we enter into pain and are brokenhearted when you are brokenhearted. God, we're thankful that when we're not, you still love us, And now what took place on this coming Friday as we celebrate and remember paid the price for our shortcomings in all these areas. And so God, we thank you for the cross. This week, may we just set our eyes on the cross and be just sober to what you did for us. And then, God, as we come back again on Sunday, may we celebrate like we've never celebrated before because of who you are and what you've done and what that means for us. So make us your people the way you desire us to live. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.